Investment products are not FDIC-insured, not a bank guarantee, and may lose value. Please read other important information, which can be found on the link at the end of the podcast episode. Greetings, everyone. This is Michael Sembalist with the Holiday Eye on the Market for 2018. Just a quick couple of comments on market issues before we get to the topic of the, of the day. Um, we expect GDP growth and profits to rise again next year, but in most business cycles, asset prices tend to peak a year or so before corporate profits in the economy do. Uh, we discussed this in October. We're going to talk about it again in our 2019 outlook, which comes out on January 1st. Uh, and so I think that's, uh, that's something pretty important to think about, even though we're going to have um, another year of, of let's call it two and a half to three percent growth in the U.S. and eight to ten corp- eight to ten percent corporate profits growth, that doesn't necessarily tell us enough about what asset prices are going to do. Um, stock bond mixes returned anywhere from minus three to plus one percent this year, and I don't think next year is going to be that much different. Um, right now, it looks like something between minus and plus five percent for diversified stock bond mixes uh, in 2019. So we'll talk about that more in the 2019 outlook. Uh, at this time of year, I depart from standard investment commentary to do something a little different. And thank you to Mary for letting me do that. And uh, this holiday, on the mar- I on the markets, a note to my spouse on the 2020 presidential election. So if politics raises your blood pressure to unacceptable levels, please terminate this podcast immediately and read one of the other links that we have in here on our energy paper, our private equity paper, uh, or our muni paper. So the, the context around uh, this note to my spouse is that she has a vision uh, or a hope. I'm not sure what to call it, but it goes like this. In 2020, a moderate de- defeats the president in the GOP primary, a moderate wins the Democratic primary, and with both candidates reflecting the values of her father, who was raised in rural Indiana in the 1930s, uh, he served as chief, uh, head of surgery for the 121st Medivac Hospital in Korea. He was the chief of general surgery at Northwestern Hospital, and he was also a team doctor for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, anyway, with respect to my spouse's vision for 2020, my response to her is the same as her response to me from time to time, which is good luck with that. And the reason I say that is if the political pendulum does swing, it may swing pretty far. And we have a chart in here to explain what I mean by that. There have been around 11,000 members of Congress and 1,200 senators since 1787. And uh, there are databases that calculate for every single politician their ideological intensity. How often do they vote with their block or against their block? How often do they vote along party lines? How often do they cross party lines? And we went back and, and started with the Coolidge administration of the 1920s and uh, went all the way to today, and we calculated for each administration its ideological intensity. How conservative and how liberal was it? And of course, as you'd expect, it swing, the pendulum swings back and forth as you go from Coolidge to FDR and Truman, back across to Eisenhower, back over on the other side to Kennedy and Johnson, Nixon and Ford, Carter, back over to Reagan, back over to Clinton, et cetera, et cetera. And what the chart highlights is that is a couple of things. First, the Trump dot in the chart is the most ideologically conservative dot on the chart, on the right side of the chart. 
and the 2020 progressive candidates, uh, Warren, Sanders, Harris, Booker, and Gillibrand, represent the leftmost dot on the chart. So in other words, the, the ideological conservatism of the Trump administration is to the right of anything we have seen in the last hundred years, and the progressive candidates are more ideologically liberal than anything that we've seen in the last 100 years, even to the left of, of Roosevelt and Truman and their administration. Uh, and just another quick word on methodology, what we each administration, each administration score is based on the voting histories of members of the executive branch that have them and the voting histories of prominent members of Congress that supported the administration in terms of its major, major legislative initiatives uh, and its political and governing principles. And you can see below the chart we list each administration and who the members of Congress and the executive branch were on which we base the dot. And um, this is based on data that's been used in, in peer-reviewed papers on public policy and legislation since the early 1980s and is currently maintained by UCLA's Vote View project. Anyway, the reason the chart matters, I think, is another picture that we have in here that if you go back to 1950 and you track the percentage of moderates in the House of Representatives and then you look at what subsequent 10-year U.S. GDP growth was, they track pretty closely. And as the percentage of moderates went down in the House, the subsequent 10-year growth rate of the U.S. went down. Now, of course, before anybody starts texting me, the decline in post-war growth was heavily impacted by falling birth rates and rising longevity, and, and there have been some Fed studies that made that clear. But I'm convinced that the collapse in the political center played a role as well because we've ended up with a lot of one-sided policymaking that gets implemented and repealed as the pendulum swings. Think about things like net neutrality and then other issues that get left unaddressed because the political divisions are too wide. And um, we, I would like to see, along with a lot of other people I know, a return of some of the moderates, but now is not the time that that's going to happen. Uh, the erosion of political norms and constitutional conventions now taking place are pretty extreme. Uh, so are the reactions to them, and the bottom line is that it makes life difficult for moderates in either party these days. So hence this note with these charts and uh, a warning to my spouse about 2020 and uh, the choice that she is likely to face, in my opinion, is going to be very different than her preferred scenario. Uh, in any case, I ended this uh, 2018 with a, with a long-term look forward. Our chairman, Jamie, asked me to put together for him a presentation on what he thinks of as negative productivity agents. What are the things that in the long term, whoever wins in 2020, the executive branch and legislators will eventually have to grapple with? Things like crumbling transportation and electricity infrastructure. The U.S. has the lowest level of high-speed rail practically in the developed world. We have coastal exposure to storm surges. We have subpar reading and math scores. We have the highest litigation costs in the world. Uh, we have land use regulation all over the place that is negatively impacting labor mobility and housing. Uh, we have arbitrary state licensing requirements that negatively affect growth and employment. We badly need immigration reform, uh, and we also happen to lead the developed world in obesity, gun violence, incarceration, and opioid use. So um, Jamie asked me to put together a, a presentation on what some of the issues and options are, and uh, we have a link to that presentation uh, in the note. Uh, the challenges are complex, and I think what history tells us, as certainly this chart suggests that we have in here, is that in the past, the extremists were 
less able to solve these kind of problems on their own. Um, one last thing on uh, uh, a note to my spouse. Uh, I miss your father a lot. He liked fishing and pie and diners, and he disliked parties, and he disliked small talk and fine restaurants. Um, he bought a car in, I think, five minutes once because he hated shopping. Um, and when your mother threw out his old tweed caps and bought him a new one for Christmas, he told your brother John to go out and um, throw the new cap away and retrieve the old ones for the bottom of the garbage so he could keep wearing them. And uh, the, the, uh, I guess the tagline of that is, I apologize to you in advance, but I think I am gradually becoming your father. So that is our holiday uh, Eye on the Market summary for 2018. Take a look at, at the chart in here on the pendulum of presidential administrations with a look at 2020. Uh, and the attached piece. We will have our Eye on the Market 2019 podcast as well as the piece itself coming out on January 1st. And I wish everybody a healthy and happy holiday season. Thank you and goodbye. Michael Semblist's Eye on the Market offers a unique perspective on the economy, current events, markets, and investment portfolios, and is a production of J.P. Morgan Asset and Wealth Management. Michael Semblist is the chairman of Market and Investment Strategy for J.P. Morgan Asset Management and is one of our most renowned and provocative speakers. For more information, please subscribe to the Eye on the Market by contacting your J.P. Morgan representative. If you'd like to hear more, please explore episodes on iTunes or on our website. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is a communication on behalf of J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated, a member of FINRA, views may not be suitable for all investors and are not intended as personal investment advice or as a solicitation or recommendation. Outlooks and past performance are never guarantees of future results. This is not investment research. Please read other important information, which can be found at www.jpmorgan.com disclaimer eotm.